The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Discouragement's a battle that every single one of us in here has faced, and it's kind of a unique thing, isn't it? Because I think discouragement is a custom, a custom-made vice, maybe if you will, in that it's that when we face discouragement, it's made specifically for us, for the particular things that are going on in our lives. Um, and because of that, it's really easy for discouragement to marry itself to isolation. For, for me to come and crawl into myself when I'm discouraged and, when I'm, and, to, and to feel that I'm all alone. And one feeds into another. There are two monsters on each side of us that try to devour us at once. It can be kind of overwhelming. We need, we need help. We need a way of battling those monsters, those monsters of discouragement and isolation. Um, and to look into our lives and see, well, where does that come? Well, a few, a good number of years ago, actually, I was still a seminarian. And I went to visit a friend in Colorado, and that friend was an avid skier. He loved downhill skiing. And he was sitting at one time talking with me about how he had skied every single month of the year. And I thought, well, how is this? How do you go skiing in the middle of July, August, you know, those, those hot months? And he said, well, Colorado, especially if they've had a really heavy snowpack that, that winter, that you get these places high up in the mountains and there are these ravines, these steep ravines where they don't get much sun. And you end up with a snowpack that goes from the beginning of the year all the way to the end. It never melts. Um, and he said, so what we do is we go up into these places, we strap on the skis onto our backs, we put on our ski boots, and then we climb up these ravines and we ski down. And I thought, well, you know, well that sounds like a lot of fun. He said, well, you want to join us? We're going to go this weekend. Sure, I'll go. I'm an okay skier. 
um, not a great skier. And if I had been a little bit wiser in my decision, I probably should have said no that day, but I didn't. So I go up with them. I borrow some skis and some boots. And we get to the bottom of this ravine, and there are these huge boulders the size of cars that we have to make our way through before we can even get to the snow patch. And then my friend proceeds to give me a little safety speech. I don't know about you, but often when I hear a safety speech, especially before something that I'm excited to do, it like kind of don't really pay attention to it, but it's sort of there. I mean, I bet you all of you, you know, we've probably almost all of us flown on a plane, you know, they say in case of a water landing, where is your life vest at? Under the seat, you know, and when do you put it on? Before you blow it up. It's kind of those things we heard it so much that it's sort of there, but I don't think about it. Well, that was how I approached his safety speech. It was there, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to need this. This this is easy. How hard? You hike up the hill, you ski down. Pretty simple. He told me this, though. He says, if you get up there and you slip, and you start sliding down the mountain, said, spread out like this, like you're an eagle. You know, just get as wide and as big as possible because you want as much surface space on the snow to slow you down. And I thought, well, okay, but me thinking I know maybe more than I actually do, I'm like, you know, I'll just slow, you know, I'll slow myself, I'll stop, no problem. And I'm not going to fall anyways. So we started our trek up. You know how it's funny when you get on something steep, it's always a lot steeper when you're on it than when you look at it from the bottom, and also a lot higher? Well, I'm climbing up this mountain, and I got these ski boots on, which are very stiff, and there were the point where we're jabbing our boots in to make these steps to climb up. And we're up above uh, a mile high, and we're, we're thousands of feet up um, in terms of elevation, so the air is thin, and I'm panting and breathing, and it's a lot of work. I finally catch up to my friend, and I'm pulling my water bottle out of my pack. And my friend looks at me and says, oh, you might not want to stand like that. Um, I look at him, I stand like what? And he said, you know, well, you have your toes kicked into the mountain. And when you do that, you don't have as much surface area to keep you from slipping. And I thought, well, I feel, I'm thinking to myself, okay, but I feel just fine. I open up my water bottle, I went to take a drink, and as I'm taking that drink, the world fell out from underneath me. (laughs) It felt like I fell off a cliff. So the water bottle goes flying, I'm on my rear end, and I'm now starting to skate down this mountainside into these huge boulders the size of cars. And I quickly realized that I was not going to stop. In fact, I was doing anything but stopping. I was speeding up. I'm going faster and faster down this mountain. And so in my panic, the only thing I could think of is this voice saying, turn around on your belly, go spread eagle, and you can slow yourself down. So I turn around on my belly. I put my arms out, my legs out, and I'm not slowing down initially. Um, I'm a little bit scared. But then eventually I start to slow down. And I start to breathe again. I finally stopped about 150 yards down the mountain. And all of my coat, my shirt, my undershirt is up here underneath my armpits. And I I looked down at my belly and I had the reddest belly you could ever have from all of that ice and snow just scraping against me for 150 yards. But I was alive. 
It's interesting what I was feeling at that moment because it was a little rush of different emotions. One was thankful. I was, thank, I was thankful that I was still alive. That was the good feeling. Then there was a flood of not-so-good feelings. I was feeling hurt physically. I was embarrassed. And I was discouraged. Because I looked up and I saw, one, how much distance I had lost. That hard hike, 150 yards up that high, is not an easy trek. Um, And so there was the discouragement there. And then there was the discouragement in the fact of recognizing that I was not as smart as I thought I was with all this alpineering, this mountain skiing and so forth, that really I was out out of my league, discouraged there. And, as I said, embarrassed. You know what my buddy did, though? He yells down to me. He says, are you okay? Do you need me to come down? And I said, I think I'm, gonna, I think I'm okay. He says, all right. He goes, it's happened to all of us. Just shake it off. Come on up. You know, I'll wait for you. And so I shook it off. I got my stuff together, and I started hiking up that ravine again. And my buddy the whole way was just encouraging me telling me about, you know, once you get up here, we're going to have such a great time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I did get up to him again. And we went even further. We got up to the top of the ravine, and then we had a blast skiing down. I share that story with you with regards to discouragement because I think it's important for us to recognize that that's often how God acts in our life, like my friend, Uh, and specifically the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling us to get ready. He's going to send an advocate to us. Why does he do that? Because he knows how hard it is for us. He knows how discouraging it can get and how lonely we can feel because he's been there. On the cross, he cries out, my, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He knows what it feels to be alone. But he made it. He conquered death for us. So that we wouldn't have to be alone. So that we'd have someone there for us to encourage us and to remind us that we're going to make it to the top of the mountain. So long as we keep listening to him, as long as we keep loving him, we'll make it. I think this lifetime is like climbing a mountain in many ways. You know, it's sort of an understatement to say it's a lot easier to fall down a mountain than it is to to climb up it. I mean, it, it speaks for itself, but it really is true, isn't it? The thing is, though, is when we fall down that mountain, sometimes we can really believe that I'm never going to get up it. I'm never going to make it to the top. And that's why Jesus is telling us, I'm going to send my spirit to you. I'm going to give you an advocate who's going to be there to give you those safety briefings, (laughs) those things that will save your life. 
so that when we stumble and fall down that mountain, which is almost inevitable, we're going to do it, that we'll know what to do, how to get back, stand up, and begin again. And that we'll have that voice there, that, that encouragement of God saying, you can do it. Take one step. It is going to be so great when you are here. When you make it to the top of that mountain. When you are in heaven. And you've made it. And you will make it. Just continue to love me. Continue to allow me to love you. Listen to my spirit. One final sort of thought with regards to all of this. Because sometimes I think it can be difficult to hear when that spirit is speaking to us. It's to remember this. Every good thing that has ever happened to you, that has ever come upon you, has come from God. That good meal you had last night, gift from God. Your mother saying, I love you, gift from God. Your children saying, I love you, a gift from God. That flower that you noticed, a gift from God. That sunrise, that sunset, a gift from God, a gift from God. Every good thing, a gift from God. He certainly uses a lot of us to help deliver those messages and to be a part of that. But ultimately, it comes from God. And so if you're sitting there at some point, discouragement and that other monster of isolation is telling you you're all by yourself, shout in his face. Tell him he's a liar. And look for those good things in your life because I promise you they're there. God never abandons us. He's blessing us always, even in the darkest moments of our life. He is there with us telling us we're loved, inviting us to love.